It's been three decades since a badly burned body of 12-year-old Shanda Sherr was found at Lemon Road in Madison, Indiana. At the time, nobody could understand why anyone would want to torture and kill this innocent young schoolgirl. But as investigators dug deep into her life, they revealed a very messy love triangle. I'm Jelsey May, and this is Exhibit May. stuns the nation. Kidnapped, tortured, and murdered. Convicted of murdering a 12-year-old girl. Deanna's most horrific murder. Torturing and killing 12-year-old Shanda Sher. It was a crime of passion and peer pressure. Shanda Renee Sher entered the world on June 6, 1979 in Pineville, Kentucky, where she faced the early hardship of her parents' divorce. Despite this challenge, Shanda managed to maintain a close and loving relationship with her mother while also forming strong bonds with her father Stephen and stepmother Sharon. Whether it was her contagious laughter or zest for life, Shanda was the kind of person who naturally became the center of attention. Beyond her social magnetism, Shanda proved to be an accomplished student. She not only embraced her academic responsibilities, but also actively participated in extracurricular activities. As a cheerleader and volleyball player, she showcased her athletic skills and dedication to school spirit. June 6, 1991 marked a special day for Shanda as she celebrated her 12th birthday. Filled with joy, she couldn't help but harbor a secret longing to fast forward to the age of 13. Like many preteens, she yearned to feel a tad older and effortlessly blend in with the cooler, more mature crowd. This desire intensified as she anticipated her upcoming adventure at Hazelwood Junior High. Just a week away, hoping to step into this new chapter of her life with a confident stride. After her first day at Hazelwood Junior High, Shanda returned home beaming with excitement, eager to share her positive experience with her mother, Jackie. The initial happiness, however, quickly dissolved when Jackie received an alarming phone call just two days later. The assistant principal from school was on the other end delivering distressing news. Shanda had been involved in a fight with another girl. That evening, Shanda arrived home in tears, sporting a cut on her face and a bump on the back of her head. Through her sobs, she recounted the events to her mother, explaining that she had tried to help a girl who wanted to end her relationship and return her boyfriend's ring, but was too frightened to do so. As Shanda approached the boy, another girl unexpectedly emerged from the crowd, launching an aggressive attack that caught her completely off guard. Shanda would soon learn that this girl with a smug smile and nasty attitude was 14-year-old Amanda Heverin. This troubled teen lived in one of the poor neighborhoods and was frequently found in detention after school. Due to her casual style, which included a baseball cap, sweatshirt, and baggy jeans, she was often mistaken for a boy. That meant most male suitors left her alone. However, one female classmate was particularly drawn to her. 15-year-old Melinda Loveless was a beautiful girl with ivory smooth skin, long curly brown hair, and a graceful figure that drew comparisons to a young Julia Roberts. Unlike Amanda, boys begged Melinda for dates, but after having several unsatisfying experiences with the opposite sex, she decided she was now into girls, just like her two older sisters who also embraced their lesbian identities during their teenage years. 
Amanda resembled Melinda's father, Larry Loveless, who she was very close with, despite all the horrible things he had done to his family. He abused his wife, Marjorie, and their three daughters before filing for divorce and disappearing from their lives. After his departure, Melinda fell into deep depression and was left with an empty void, which she tried filling with her feelings for Amanda. But things were shaken up when the new girl, Shanda Scherer, appeared in the picture. Amanda bragged to Melinda that she had given Shanda a rough beating and was now stuck in detention with her for the next several days. But as days passed and the two spent more time together, Amanda grew fond of Shanda, telling Melinda that she surprisingly liked her and thought she was really sweet. Before long, Melinda felt like Shanda was all her girlfriend ever talked about. The next day, Melinda purposely arrived at school late so she would be placed in detention as well, and what she saw filled her with extreme rage and jealousy. She witnessed how Amanda looked at Shanda as they exchanged smiles and passed secret notes to each other and knew she had to stop what was happening between them. Later that day, the couple spent time together in Melinda's bedroom while she quickly snatched the notes from Amanda's pocket. Despite trying to prevent her from reading them, Melinda was determined to know what they said and was furious to see that the two had been flirting. She threw a tantrum and told her to stay away from the new girl and that Shanda needed to back off or else. Amanda continued writing letters to Shanda in the following weeks, asking if she liked girls and was attracted to her. In October, Amanda invited Shanda to spend the night with her and made her move. After the two had sex, Shanda felt confused and cried. Although she had only been attracted to boys before, Shanda was strangely drawn to Amanda and was quickly captivated. Meanwhile, Melinda grew increasingly frustrated and pleaded with Shanda to distance herself from Amanda. When her request fell through, Melinda confronted Shanda in the hallway, resorting to threats in an attempt to scare her even this intimidation failed to keep the two girls from being together. Their bond remained strong, evident as they attended the Harvest Homecoming event hand in hand while Melinda watched with envy. This situation triggered Melinda to harass Shanda, furthermore affecting Shanda's behavior so much that her parents decided to transfer her out of Hazelwood and into Our Lady of Perpetual Help Catholic School in November of 1991. To Melinda, Shanda's transfer was a dream come true. She naively believed that Amanda would eventually forget about Shanda, but to her dismay, she stumbled upon the unsettling truth. They were still in contact. Overwhelmed by a surge of emotions, her sanity slipped away as she spiraled out of control and began plotting her ultimate revenge. On January 10th, 1992, Shanda was getting ready for her birthday at her father's house in Jeffersonville when she received a knock at the door around 9pm. Melinda's friends Hope Rippey and Tori Lawrence had come to introduce themselves and inform Shanda that Amanda urgently wanted to speak with her and insisted that she accompany them to meet her. Shanda glanced over at her dad who was in the living room watching TV and told the girls quietly to come back in a few hours, assuring them that she would be back from her party and her parents would be sound asleep by then. The girls departed, leaving Melinda frustrated as her plan failed to unfold according to her desires. Hope and Tony reassured her, making a promise to return at a later time and successfully lure their intended victim. 
the four girls then ventured across the river to Louisville and attended a punk rock show until 12.30 a.m. when they returned and parked a few houses away from Shanda's residence. This time, Lori Tackett accompanied Hope as they approached Shanda's door, and shortly after, all three girls came running towards the vehicle. As they entered the car, Melinda abruptly lunged forward, yanking Shanda's hair with force and pressing a kitchen knife against her throat. In a menacing tone, she began interrogating Shanda about her intimate relationship with Amanda. Gripped by paralyzing fear for her life, Shanda confessed the truth, further fueling Melinda's rage. Upon reaching the witch's castle, a ruined stone house located on an isolated hill overlooking the Ohio River, they forcefully extracted a sobbing Shanda from the car. As they forcibly pulled her uphill, Lori shared a chilling tale with the girls stating that the house was once possessed by witches and how the townspeople burned it down to get rid of them. The witch's castle, it's a creepy place where kids go and drink, party, do demonic things. On Halloween, we have hundreds of people that come up there. Lori was fascinated by this place. She believed that nine witches were burned at that castle. She talked about knowing the spirits who were there. After entering the old stone house, the girl seated Shanda in the main room and securely bound her arms and legs with rope. Their taunting words echoed through the room as they remarked on Shanda's beautiful hair, wondering how she would look if they cut it all off. Proceeding with their torment, they removed her rings and Mickey Mouse watch, gleefully dancing to its cheerful tune. They then set a smiley face t-shirt on fire, but their fear of drawing unwanted attention from passing cars on the nearby road quickly worried them. Realizing the potential consequences, they ushered Shanda back into the car and set off toward the outskirts of the woods near Lori's residence in Madison, about 50 miles away. During the car ride, the girls soon found themselves lost and stopped at a gas station. With concern growing, they concealed Shanda under a blanket as she pleaded with them to take her back home. Lori ventured inside to seek directions while Tony called her friend Mike to attempt to alleviate her anxieties without disclosing the unsettling situation. After regrouping in the car, they continued driving until they reached a secluded, densely forested area. Once more, Lori and Melinda forcefully dragged Shanda from the vehicle, ushering her through the woods and into a dark, abandoned building. Meanwhile, Tony and Hope remained in the car, turning up the radio's volume to mask any sounds of Shanda's distressing screams. The girls forced Shanda to strip down to her underwear, then Melinda beat the 12-year-old girl with her fists and repeatedly slammed her face into her knee, driving her lips into her braces and causing her mouth to bleed profusely. As Shanda fought for her life, Hope got out of her car and came to help hold her down as Melinda and Lori took turns stabbing their victim in the bottom of their feet, legs, chest, and throat. They tried to slice her throat. When the knife turns out to be too dull to kill Shanda, the girls strangle her into unconsciousness. After prolonged torture, they dragged her back to the car and threw her limp body into the trunk, leaving a bloody trail behind. The girls made their way to Lori's house conveniently located nearby, where they relaxed, drank soda, and freshened up. While most of the girls began to show signs of unease, Lori remained unfazed by her recent actions. As they gathered in the bedroom, the sound of a barking dog caught their attention, followed by muffled screams coming from the trunk of their car. 
An agitated Lori told the others to wait while she grabbed a paring knife and went outside. When she returned several minutes later with bloody hands, it was quiet again. At this point, Melinda told the group they had no choice but to burn Shanda's body to fully get rid of her. At 2.30 a.m., while Tony and Hope took a nap at the house, Lori and Melinda decided to go country cruising, venturing towards the nearby town of Canaan to a burn pile where the Tackets disposed of their trash. As they prepared to retrieve Shanda from the trunk, Lori noticed they were being watched from a nearby trailer by two teens who had just gotten home from working late at a restaurant. Responding quickly, they returned to the car and resumed driving without a specific destination. At this point, Lori expressed her desire to throw Shanda into the water while Melinda remained adamant about burning her. Ensuring Shanda was dead, the girls stopped the car and grabbed a tire iron. When they opened the trunk, Shanda attempted to sit up and managed to mutter one word, Mommy. Lori then beat her on the head with the tire iron until she was silent, later stating that she felt her victim's head cave in. As they continued joyriding throughout the countryside, they occasionally stopped the car and sexually assaulted Shanda with the same weapon they used to beat her. By now, Shanda had endured nearly seven hours of relentless beatings, stabbings, strangulation, and torture. With the break of dawn approaching, panic began setting in. It was imperative to dispose her body quickly before anyone discovered their horrific actions. After discussing, the girls drove back to the Tackett residence just before sunrise to freshen up and show Tony and Hope Shanda's badly beaten body before burning her alive. The girls opened the trunk, gazing at Shanda, while Hope sprayed Windex on her battered face, taunting her with comments about her appearance. After this cruel interaction, they callously slammed the trunk once again. The girls proceeded to a gas station off a busy highway where they purchased a two-liter bottle of Pepsi, emptied it, and refilled it with gasoline. Heading north of Madison while taking side streets, they arrived at a remote gravel lane known as Lemon Road. While Tony remained in the car, the remaining three girls wrapped Shanda with a blanket, pulled her out of the trunk, and dropped her roughly on the dirt road. Lori then commanded Hope to douse her with gasoline while Lori herself ignited the fire with a match. As Shanda battled for survival and during the agony of being burned alive, the girls casually returned to their vehicle and began driving away. Shortly after, Melinda looked back and wasn't convinced that Shanda was dead. Fearing the fire might extinguish, they halted the car, Melinda exited, poured the remaining gasoline on her, got back in the car laughing, and declared, You should have seen it. Her tongue was going in and out of her mouth. I'm glad she's gone. I'm so glad she's out of me and Amanda's lives. With those chilling words, they continued their journey. At 9.30 a.m., the girls arrived at a McDonald's fast food spot to grab some breakfast. There, they found amusement in joking about Shanda's body resembling one of the burnt sausages they were consuming. Unable to contain their words, none of the girls kept quiet about the dreadful incident. Tony dialed her friend and disclosed the details of the murder. Later, Melinda and Lori recounted the same narrative to Crystal and Amanda who visited the Loveless residence. Although initially hesitant to believe they had indeed taken Shanda's life, their skepticism diminished when Lori revealed the car trunk bearing Shanda's blood-stained handprints and still present socks. Amanda was horrified by the sight and urgently requested to be taken home. As they arrived in front of her house, Melinda planted a kiss on her former girlfriend and pleaded her for silence. Amanda gazed at Melinda with fear and promised to keep their secret. 
Later that morning on January 11, 1992, brothers Don and Ralph Foley embarked on a hunting trip when they spotted what appeared to be a burned mannequin by the roadside. Stepping out of their vehicle, they quickly realized it was a severely charred body and promptly called the police at 10.55 a.m. Around the same time, Steve Scherer noticed his daughter's absence from home. After reaching out to neighbors and friends, he discovered that none of them had seen or heard from Shanda. At 1.45 p.m., Steve and Jackie convened and lodged a missing person report with the Clark County Sheriff. Unbeknownst to them, their daughter had already been discovered, her body so badly burned that she was unrecognizable. First on scene was Jefferson County Sheriff Richard Shipley. Due to the low rate of homicides in the small town, Shipley knew that this investigation was out of his small department's league and needed backup, so he called the state police. This call reached Steve Henry, a friend of Shipley's and an Indiana State Police detective based 40 miles outside Madison. He and a lab technician, Curtis Wells, headed immediately to the scene. As the sun disappeared, investigators set up lights to continue working into the night. After seven hours, the ambulance arrived to take Shanda's body away to the morgue at King's Daughters Hospital. At 8.20 p.m., a hysterical Tony, Hope, and their parents arrived at the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office. After confessing and seeking advice from a lawyer, both girls gave rambling statements describing the main events of the previous night and identifying the victim as Shanda Scherer, which was later confirmed with dental records. Following Tony and Hope's statements, which implicated them along with Melinda and Lori, the authorities apprehended the four individuals on January 12, 1992. Given the alarming nature of the crime, the prosecution announced its intent to try the girls as adults, exposing them to the possibility of capital punishment. Faced with this grave prospect, Tony, Hope, Melinda, and Lori all opted to pursue plea bargains. During the consideration of their sentences, mitigating factors were taken into account for each girl. Court testimony showed some of the girls had been abused by their parents. I know that every one of those children that killed my child had somewhat of a, a horrible childhood. Most of them had had some form of, a, of abuse, and I, I know that that's the reason why these children could kill. It's not an excuse at all, but it is a reason. It's what I tell the parents. If you, if you raise a child and you don't teach them love and compassion and caring and forgiveness, what else do they have but hatred? And eventually that hatred has to come out. And unfortunately, that evening, there were four girls there that had a lot of hatred inside of them and it just all exploded. I have to look at what was going on in their home for them not to come away with the message that this is wrong and you don't do it. Melinda Loveless was one of Shanda's teenage killers. Even she doesn't fully understand her crime, but she knows she was hurting from a childhood filled with abuse. It turns into anger if you keep that hurt and don't let it go or don't forgive that person or don't forgive yourself. That hurt can turn into anger and hate and um, make you do things that you would never really do. Evidently, I'm, I'm not all the way healed. Um, I deny it too, in a way. I mean. I'm not calling no one a liar, but it's just, it's hard for me to accept or think that a dad would do that. I ask myself why, and I don't have the answer. In the end, Melinda Loveless and Lori Tackett were sentenced to 60 years in the Indiana Women's Prison in January 1993. 
Lori was released in January 2018 and served probation for one year while Melinda was released the following year on September 5th, 2019 after serving 26 years and eight months and will serve parole in Jefferson County, Kentucky. Who won for her shame to still be alive? She was the one that started it all. She brutally murdered my child. And it, you know, it was, when I say brutal, it was brutal. There was 10 hours of torture. I've heard from people that have been in that prison. Um, they seem to want to contact me. And I've heard things about Melinda. And Melinda relishes in the fact that she is shamed as murderer. She, um, she's very proud of that. Hope Rippey also received an initial sentence of 60 years in prison. During her appeal, her sentence was significantly reduced to 35 years. After serving 14 years of her original sentence, she was released on April 28, 2006. Following her release, she remained under supervised parole for five years until April 2011. In exchange for Tori Lawrence's cooperation, she was granted the opportunity to enter a guilty plea for a single charge of criminal confinement. Consequently, she received a maximum sentence of 20 years and on December 14, 2000, she was released from custody and remained on parole until December 2002. Every single one except Lori Tackett has done everything they can at every turn to get out. And to me, it is more than a slap in the face. It's just like killing Shanda all over again. You just wish at some point that they take responsibility and, and just do that one little thing, just serve their sentence. As for Amanda Heverin, who played a pivotal role in the tragic events and remained unpunished, Shanda's mother, Jackie, holds her significantly responsible. Amanda took advantage of the young girl manipulating and grooming both her and Melinda while being fully aware of the growing rivalry and the negative consequences it was causing, yet she showed no remorse. She justified her actions by stating, you can't molest someone who came to me first. Furthermore, she criticized Shanda's father, Steve Scher, claiming he could have done more when the girls arrived at the door that evening. I never don't miss Shanda. I never don't, you know, talk to her every day. She is still a part of my life. You know, I truly do believe when I talk to her, she hears me. Jackie firmly believed that the devastation Steve experienced after their daughter's murder was so overwhelming that it ultimately led to his death from a broken heart. He carried a heavy burden of guilt and tragically died of alcoholism in 2005 at the age of 52. In 2012, Jackie made her first contact with Melinda Loveless since the trials and did something remarkable. Something no one planned has happened. An unlikely alliance between the ringleader of the murder and the victim's mother. What forged the connection is the last thing you would expect to see behind prison walls. According to Jackie, Melinda had turned her life around in prison, actively participating in a program called Project to Heal, where she trained service dogs for individuals with disabilities. But the hands that once took life now nurture it. As a trainer of service dogs for the disabled, in seven years, Melinda has become one of the most trusted and competent trainers in the ICANN program. But it's this dog, Angel, that is a dog like no other, a four-legged conduit to her victim Shanda's mother. She was compassionate. I think the ICANN program allows her to have something in her life that shows her unconditional love, that she can show that love back to. 
and there's a result and there's never any betrayal on either side. Jackie hopes to donate a dog every year in honor of her daughter and even donated a dog named Angel in Shanda's name for Melinda to train saying quote, if you don't let good things come from bad things, nothing gets better. And I know what my child would want. My child would want this. It's been a very slow, painful time. Um, but if she can go through what she went through that night, I can go through this a million times. It's the least I can do. this episode, please subscribe and follow me on Instagram at Exhibit May Podcast. 